0: I want to share with you guys what happened here at Grace over Christmas. And uh, man, we had an awesome time. And just want to throw this out there. You guys did a great job. We're getting family, we're getting friends, we're getting neighbors apparently. Uh, we had over 1,250 people at our Tiffin campus alone that attended one of the five services at Grace. Man, good stuff. Yep. <clears throat> at all three of our campuses combined, so Northwood, Fremont, here in Tiffin, we had over 4,400 people, which is incredible. Um, but most importantly, Okay, most importantly, this is the, the, the reason why we do what we do here at Grace. Uh, and at the Tiffin campus alone, we had over 20 people that made the decision to give their life to Christ. And so, man, that's that's just God doing what he does. And honestly, like, that's why we're in Tiffin, right? That's why we do the big Christmas services. That's why Zach prepares an awesome message. That's why our band and our music tech, everyone, we work for hours and hours and hours. All of our volunteers put the hours and hours and hours in it's for people to come to Christ. And so, man, you invited people. Awesome job. And, uh, you know, Christmas time, we found this out, is is probably the time of year you can get someone that usually doesn't come to church. You can get them to come at Christmas time, um, Easter as well. But typically Christmas is actually easier. More people come then. So remember that for next year, reaching your family and friends uh, that are not believers. Um, but, hey, this year, New Year, right? New Year. Anyone have any 2022 goals at all? Just Just asking. No reason why at all. Okay, first service, like, every hand was up, okay? Yeah, okay, all right. All right, a few of you guys, that's good. The rest of you guys probably need to get on board with that. All right. Okay, so new year, new series, and uh, we're kicking off this new series, Esther, Fractured People, Flawless God, and uh, I'm kicking it off, and you know, i looking forward to this. And so want to just give you guys a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. So it's going to be an intro into the book of Esther. We're mainly going to be in Esther chapter 1, and uh, we're... We're going to talk a lot about history in the first few minutes here, so just, if you like history, you're probably going to like it. And if you don't like history, probably just, just wait, okay? We're going to, we'll change gears after a little bit, okay? All right, so Esther, it is an incredible book, and it shows us how God is, he's working, and he's moving kind of behind the scenes, and, and like he's, you know, he, he's not present, it seems like, but he's working behind the scenes, and I'll talk a little bit more about what that means in just a few minutes um, but it's one of the two books in the Old Testament that's actually uh, written after a woman, and that would be the other one would be Ruth, which if you're here last year in January, about the middle of the month, we kicked off our series in Ruth and went four weeks. Awesome series. Uh, but this book, it is one of resilience. Uh, there's, a, there's a, man, there's a jacked up king we're going to talk about today, this dude named Ahasuerus. And that is actually his name, believe it or not. All right? And he is messed up. He's a terrible, terrible king. Uh, there's a queen that is, is pretty good. Um, she's definitely done wrong. Um, there is uh, a replacement queen. There's a villain. Every good story has a villain, right? There's a villain in the story of Esther. Um, there's a, a loved uncle that, you know, helps his, his niece being Esther to do what she needs to do. Um, but what I love about Esther is this. I, I think that it's unique from a lot of other books, especially in the Old Testament, for this reason. I think that it resonates and relates to us now. January 2nd, 2022. Like it it relates to us now more than a lot of the books that are in the Old Testament, and we'll talk about that today mainly. Okay, so, um, you know, we just came out of the Christmas season. A lot of you guys are Christmas fans. I love Christmas. Christmas. Um, I love the Christmas stories. I love to hear how God, like, revealed himself or his will to people in, like, a miraculous way. Um, some of those to be like the shepherds, right? The shepherds, they're out in the field taking care of their sheep. And what happens? Angel, boom, comes to them and tells them about Jesus being born, the Savior, this Messiah. And, I mean, it's telling them all about it and says, hey, go and see and worship this king, this Jesus. He's born. <clears throat> and so they go and they do that. And then if you remember Mary, like Mary was told, you know, by an angel, came to her and said, hey, you're going to give birth to this Messiah, this Jesus that has been talked about all throughout the, all throughout the Jewish people for thousands of years. He's coming and you're going to be the mom, right? And this angel comes to her and tells her that. And even Joseph, right, an angel comes to him in a dream and confirms that this is going to happen. I mean, these are incredible examples of how God, he just does some awesome miracles and he reveals some things in, in a really unique way. But I think if we're honest, at least myself and I think a lot of you guys would agree, it doesn't really relate to us that well. I mean, for most of us, I mean, we bring something to God, and a lot of times we wonder things like this. Like, God, uh, can, like can do you hear me? Like, I've been praying this prayer request for, like, weeks and weeks and weeks, and I, I don't, like, can you hear me? Like, I, I really need to answer, God, uh, is this what you want me to do in life? Do you want me to pursue this career? Do you want me to marry this person or not? Or... God, what do you want me to do? Should I take this position at work? God, should should my family move here? Or maybe you go through difficulty and you just think, like, God, are, like, do you even care? Are you, are you present taking care of me and taking care of this problem? See, I think if we're honest, we want God to send an angel and to say it's all going to be fine. We want God to send an angel and to, to tell us, hey, this is exactly how it's all going to work out and everything's going to be fine and, and this is going to happen in two years, this is going to happen in six years. But that's not how God works now. Angel's not gonna show up and tell us that. See, it's a new year, 2022. And for some of us, and we're excited for the new year. Some of you guys, like I said, you have goals. Um, but most don't, apparently, in here. Uh, but, but if you're honest, the past two years, they've been a little disappointing. Can we just we just get that out there, right? It's the beginning of the year, 2020, 2021, everything that happened, COVID, shutdowns, all that fun stuff, uh, it gives a little bad taste to your mouth for beginning of the year, right? I mean, maybe you're fearful. I like, think it. Okay, 2020, 2021. What's going to happen in 2022? Like, what's what's the big thing that's going to shut our country down this year, cause division? And what's it going to be? See, we have to have faith that regardless of what happens, man, we should trust God. Esther is a book. It relates to us now more than ever. It shows that God, He's working everything according to His providential plan, and we'll come back to what that providential plan means but he's working even when it's like he's not there. He shows us in this book that he's working everything for his good and for his will, even though it seems like he's behind the scenes. You see, and I say that because of this. Esther, it's a book that some think it's controversial in the fact that from Esther 1-1 to the last verse of Esther, which is Esther 10-3, God's name is never mentioned one time. I mean, it's, it's, it's never mentioned. There's not anything about a worship gathering. There's not anything about prayer, praising God, nothing like that. And so a lot of people, like in the first century, like they're thinking, like, hey, we should throw this thing out. See, but just because he's not mentioned does not mean he's not working. Hey, case in point. All right. Oxygen. It's something we can't see, right? We can't touch it, right? But you take a deep breath in. Its evidence is there. It supports that it's here. See, some of these scholars in the first and second century church, they tried to throw it out of the canon of Scripture, saying it should not be with the rest of Scripture because it doesn't mention God's name at all, and it seems like he's not working on the surface. See, but this controversy has been dissolved because what we're going to find out today a little more next week and the weeks to come is that God is always at work accomplishing his will, and though his name isn't mentioned, he's present. In the moment, the the things that we're going to go through today, it's going to seem like he's not there but he is. See, the purpose of the book of Esther is to display the providence of God. The providence of God is is just this. It's the governance of God by which he, with wisdom and love, he cares for and directs all things according to his will in the universe. Now, we have to set the context really to help us to understand the book of Esther just a little bit. So here we go, all right? Esther, Uh, obviously, she's the main character in this book. Um, she's part of a large Jewish community that has remained in Persia, um, and that's located in modern-day Iran. I'll show you guys a map in a little bit that will help you guys see that. Uh, God, he had sent Israel to exile about 100 years before this because Israel would not obey God. Um, maybe you're thinking, okay, that's, that's kind of harsh. They, just, they don't obey God, and so he decides to, to, like, send them into captivity and exile. AJ, like, what, what's up with that? Well, what we have to understand is this. For the Jewish people, they were in a covenant with God. And when I say covenant, this is just a, a lifelong promise uh, with, with a holy God. And they're in this covenant relationship with God. And it was pretty simple. Okay, God said this, hey, if, if you guys follow me, like if you re, you remain obedient to me and you guys continue to follow me and what my word teaches, like life is going to be pretty relatively good. Okay, you're, it's not, and that's going to that's be terrible. I mean, things are going to happen, but and I'm going to be the true living God. You're going to follow me. And, you know, everything's going to be relatively okay. But, When you walk away from me and you serve false gods and you worship false gods, I'm going to give you over to foreign rulers that are going to rule and honestly going to make your life kind of difficult. So in this period, what did they do? They rebelled against God, and they did what they did in the days of judges, what was right in their own eyes, and because of that, they're in exile. Okay. So now, God, he allows the Babylonian Empire to come in with a ruler by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. All right, you guys probably have heard that name in church before. He takes rule over the Israelites, so they're under him, and he's got them, you know, you know, in exile. After this, this Persian empire comes in and dominates the Babylonian empire, and they take over all of the Babylonian empire. So all of the provinces of Babylon, everything, all the people, and including the Israelite uh, exiles. So this Persian king, he takes over, but he just decides, hey, I, I, you know, if you Israelites, you want to go back home. Then go back home, all right, you know, which is a nice thing of him. But he tells him, go back home. If not, you can stay here. Um, Esther, for some reason, scholars debate about some things, uh, but Esther decides she's going to stay in Persia. Maybe it's because she lived there her entire life, and so she just decided, hey, it's where my friends are at. It's where my Uncle Mordecai's at, who's raised me. I'm just going to stay here. And so for some reason, she stays there. So fast forward a few years. We have the book of Esther. It's dated at uh, circa 483 B.C., and it's during the reign of This King Ahasuerus, also known as King Xerxes in the Greek. Uh, He reigns for 21 years from 486 to 465 B.C., and that's where we're going to start. Let's go ahead and let's read the first four verses of Esther, chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. All right, these events, they took place during the days of Ahasuerus, who ruled 127 provinces from India to Cush. In those days, King Ahasuerus, he reigned from his royal throne in the fortress at Susa. He held a feast in the third year of his reign for all his officials and staff, the army of Persia and Media, the nobles and the officials from the provinces. He displayed the glorious wealth of his kingdom and the magnificent splendor of his greatness for a total of, check this out, ready? 180 days. All right, so here's the deal. This king, he throws the party, you can say this, the party of the century in Babylon. Like it is the party of all parties. Um, and so we have this first character come to the scene. It's the king. He rules. He's 27 years. He's so he's 127 provinces, and can you go ahead and pull that map up, Jason? This will show you just how vast, how big is in the Middle East, how big of an area that he is over. He's over a ton, and uh, the main capital that he's staying at, it's about in the middle of this map. It's actually, you can see right below Elam there. It is in Susa, so he's there, and that's where he stayed during the winter months because Susa was super hot in the summer months, and so that's where he's at when Ruth is being written. And so he's there. He's rolling over all this. And by the way, he really didn't do a whole lot to actually get this. He was given a lot of that by his dad, King Darius, uh, who conquered a lot, okay? Um, so he throws this massive party for six months. And essentially, he throws this party for, for his guys. Okay, when I say for his guys, I'm talking about for his leaders, for his officers in the military, for all the privates, I mean, for, for his guys, he's getting ready to go into Greece, and he wants to take them over. Okay, that's his plan. So he wants to go in, so he's getting the boys all riled up. Think about it like this, Coach Lutz. What does he do before the game on Friday night? Man, he gets in the middle of the guys, he gets them all fired up, right? Gets them ready to go. This is a pre-game. I mean, a pre-game battle. I mean, he's getting ready to go. He's getting the guys ready for. So for six months, they're in the, they're you know at the palace. They're hanging out. They're eating food. They're drinking. They're partying, they're talking about all the wars they've won. I mean, they're getting ready to go do battle. He's just getting them fired up for six months. Now, I would personally think that six months, long time to party, right? I mean, 180 days its a long time. This king apparently doesn't think so. So he decides, hey, I'm going to throw another seven-day party. And uh, this party is going to be for everyone in Persia. Wants to come to City Square. We're going to hang out. And so Esther one he actually says this that he had made couches of gold for this party. And I don't know about you, but if like I'm at a party or I'm at anybody's house, if there's a couch that I know is made out of pure gold, like I'm probably not going to sit on it, right? I'm not going to lay down. It's rock hard, or gold hard, whatever. You're not going to lay on it, right? I mean, the only reason why he did that was to display his wealth. And we're going to see kind of how he does that throughout the rest of the story, but. He's got, you know, couches of gold. He's got marble that people are walking on. And all he's doing is trying to showcase all that he had in pride. This party that lasted seven days after the initial 180, it had one roll. That was it, one roll. And maybe this was the icing on the cake for him to the best party in Babylon. But here's what it is. Esther 178. Drinks were served in an array of gold goblets, each with a different design. Royal wine, it flowed freely according to the king's bounty. The drinking according to this royal decree, okay, hold on, here it is, ready? There are no restrictions. The king had ordered every wine steward in his household to serve whatever each person wanted. All right, so pretty simple. The one rule is this. He tells his wine stewards, people that are serving, like, alcohol and drinks, like, hey, here's the one rule, guys. Don't, if anybody wants to drink, they come to city square, they want to party with us, we want you to give them as much as they want, okay, as much as they want. And, in fact, we're going to go ahead and we're going to, we're going to use our tax dollars to pay for this. Okay. And we're going to just give it out free. Okay, now hold on. Let's, let's just bring that. Let's just fast forward, you know, a couple thousand years or so. Okay, what if the city of Tiffin did that? I'm just, just throwing it out there. We had seven days, the city officials and the cops were on board with it. And they said, hey, come to the courthouse. Come to East Green Amphitheater. And, man, we're just going to serve drinks galore. You can drink as much you want, party as much you want. Um, and it, check this out. It's all in the city of Tiffin. All right, we got you. It's covered. You just come and drink as much as you want. Tiffin probably wouldn't even be on the map after like a week, right? I mean, people would be getting drunk. It would be crazy. All right, so fast, go back to our story. So this massive party that's going on, and we're introduced now to the wife, or soon to be introduced to her, but the wife of the king being Queen Vashti. Uh, her name has been associated with Persian words like the best, uh, the beloved, the desired one. And in this culture, men and women at, at big parties like this, they didn't typically eat together. Uh, they would have a men's banquet and they would have a women's banquet. And so she has the women of the city, women of Persia that want to come eat with her. They're there. And so as far as the king is concerned in the story, everything's working out like it wants to, Okay. He's got, uh, he's got all of his stuff out. He's got his golden couches and marble people are walking on. I mean, he's got it all out. He's displaying his wealth. I mean, everything's going just as, as he had planned. Everybody's excited, having a good time. They're ooing and they're eyeing all of his possessions and, and all that he had, wishing that they had it. They had smothered him with false praise over his valor in battle. That's what they were supposed to do. They had taken part in all the immorality. That's what they were supposed to do. See, everyone's impressed with his wealth. Over the past 187 days, they've all just been amazed at what he has. And he's eaten it up. He's a man of pride. He's loving this. But he's not done yet. He has one more thing he wants to show them. He wanted to impress them even more with his next possession. Check out what verse 10 to 11 says. On the seventh day, so the seventh day of this feast... This party, uh, when the king was feeling good from the wine, okay, let's just get it out there. He's plastered, he's drunk, okay. Hasuerus commanded Mehiman, Bista, Harbona, Bitha Agatha, Zethar, and Carcas, the seven eunuchs, who personally served him, to bring Queen Vashti before him, notice this next phrase, with her royal crown. He wanted to show off her beauty to the people and the officials because she was very beautiful. He wants to really wants to pray and show off his most valuable possession in front of all of his, his, his guys, in front of a bunch of, let's just be honest. I mean, verse number 10, it tells us that he's absolutely plastered drunk, and he wants to show, him off, show her off before oh, a whole bunch of plastered drunk guys. So, and he, he wants to do this all again so they'll be impressed at who he is and what he has, and they can just, they can oon all out everything that he has. But this wasn't your normal, i what's what to call it a beauty pageant. You read this verse, you just think, okay, well, she's going to come out, and okay, wow, well, you know, she's she's beautiful, and then she's going to leave. That that's that's not it. In fact, uh, what a lot of scholars think in this this phrase that says she come out with a royal crown to show her beauty. What he's commanding her is this: he's commanding her to come out before this drunken group of guys, wearing nothing besides her royal crown, completely naked. Before this group of drunk dudes i mean not a good idea right i mean that'd be embarrassing to, to anyone and especially to this queen her response is this but queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command that was delivered by his eunuchs the king became furious and his anger burned within him chuck swindle and if you don't know who he is he's just a famous evangelist here in the United States. But he says this about Queen Vashti. He said, I admire Vashti. In the midst of an unsavory scene, she was brave enough to say no to that which was blatantly wrong. And in resisting this insulting act of indignity, she took a stand against the greatest power that she knew good for her. King, he's infuriated. And just to kind of give you guys a little bit about this guy and how crazy he is, how infuriated he gets, like super easy. This dude, um, he built a bridge like shortly before this story. And he builds it out over uh, the sea, and one night a big storm comes, and these waves form, and they they wipe out the bridge. And so the next morning, this king, he goes out, wades out the water, and with a whip in his hand, starts to whip the waves and curse at them. And then he gets back to shore, and he finds the 300 men that built the bridge, and he decides they didn't do a good job, and so he has them executed. I mean, actually, beheaded. So, like, this dude, like, he's, he's got a real bad anger problem, but his temper and his anger it stems from his pride. So after this, he goes before these seven wise men, and they were his astrologers, his magician, magicians. These are the guys that he, he goes to for advice and counsel. Now, let's remember back to the story, okay? This is on the seventh day. He's plastered, drunk, right? They are, and he's going to these seven guys for advice, how about you, but like, I mean, these guys can probably hardly walk in a straight line. They're probably not the best candidates for some wisdom and for some advice. But he goes to them, and one of them, by the name of Memucan, uh, he gives his advice in Esther 1 16. He says, This Queen Vastai has wronged not only the king, but all the officials and the people uh, who are in every province of the king, Hash- every one of King Hashwar's provinces. For the queen's actions will become public knowledge to all the women and cause them to despise their husbands and say this, King Ahasuerus ordered Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she didn't come. Before this day is over, the noble women of Persia and Media who hear about the queen's act will say the same thing to all the king's officials, resulting in more contempt and fury. If it meets the king's approval, he should personally issue a royal decree. Let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and Medes so that it cannot be revoked. Bashtai is not to enter King Ahasuerus' presence. And her royal position is to be given to another woman who is more worthy than she. To decree, uh, The decree the king issued, uh, will be, issues will be heard throughout this vast kingdom, so all the women will honor their husbands from the greatest to the least. He says this, If she goes unpunished, from the wives that are of lesser nobles like they're just gonna—they're gonna be okay with getting away with like disobeying their husbands, right? Like, maybe can thinks it's a good idea. Obviously, it's not. He takes drastic action, telling this king to do this, and the king, in his being complete drunken self, just says, "Okay, I'm gonna sign the decree." Doesn't really even think about it, and so he signs this executive order, which, by the way, as the verse said, it cannot be reversed. And so the queen, Queen Vashti, is now banished from ever being around him again. Just—just just think about this. Just a, little, a few verses ago, that was his most valued possession. That was the thing that he you know, loved and cherished more than anything, and he just makes this, you know, this, this executive order just like it's nothing in just a matter of a few seconds. I mean, this is a huge deal. Absolutely disgraces his own wife never to see her again and never really think it through the ramifications. Now, I know this is going to be hard to see, all right, but in, the, in, in really in verse 19 We get a little glimmer of a hope that something is going to change, something's going to happen. And it says this, her royal position will be given to another woman who is more worthy than she. Okay, to find out who that is, you guys probably already know who it is. Come back next week, okay? Zach will talk about that, all right? It'll be next week. So after this feast, it's over. Uh, The parties are done and we come to Esther chapter 2 a few days later. And just the first four verses all we're going to read, and it says this. Sometime later when King Ahasuerus' rage had cooled down, he remembered Vashti, what she had done, and what was decided against her. The king's personal attendant suggested, let a search be made for beautiful, uh, for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in each province of his kingdom, so that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem of the fortress of Susa. Put them under the supervision of Haggai, the king's eunuch, keeper of the women, and give them the required beauty treatments. Then the young woman woman who pleases the king will become queen instead of Vashti. This suggestion pleased the king, and he did accordingly. Even in the king's pride and the king's fit of rage and anger, a door starts to be open for something special to happen. See, Here's the deal. Yes, he's a wicked, terrible king, disgusting, but God doesn't need his cooperation to really to accomplish his will. I mean, he doesn't need the cooperation of the king or, or Vashti or, or Memucan, but we're going to find out in this series that he accomplishes his will anyways, even though his people are really making, or the king is making a mess of everything. He's going to do that, and he's going to, God's going to place a new queen that's going to be on the throne, that's going to honor God, and that's going to save his people and accomplish his will for them. See, at this moment in the story, I mean, if we're honest, if I'm honest, at this moment in the story, I'm looking at it, and I'm going, man, I, I honestly don't see how God is going to work in this. Like, I don't see how this is going to turn out to be good. I mean, you might be thinking, like myself, like, yeah, okay, there's a spot that's open for a new queen to come in, but didn't it happen because this king made a disgusting, terrible decision and, and was, was wrong and wicked? Yes. But God is working this out according to his will. And again, we'll see that in the coming weeks. And I mean, God does this at times. He uses terrible things in our life. I think all, anyone anyone's a Christian here can say they can look back and see this in their life, but God uses terrible things in our life Honestly, as a door to accomplish his will. I mean, today, maybe you know, God is at work in your life. Right, sometimes his hand of providence, his will, it's easy to see. And then other times, it's, it's, it's very hard to see, kind of like in our story of Esther. And you're thinking like, hey, AJ, like, this, is, this is my life. Like, my choice is my time. But you're telling me that like God, he controls, and he directs them all according to his will? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. See, God already knows what choices are going to be made, and he's predetermined them really to, to bring honor and to glory to him. God, he uses situations in our lives, sometimes that are ugly and, and messy, uh, but a lot of times in the moment, we, we can't see God in those. It's not till you know, years down the road. And in the moment, it w- doesn't make sense uh, why God's allowing things to happen, why he's, why he's maybe not answering how we think he should. See, I think that's why Esther is so relatable to us. God's name isn't present, but He he's working behind the scenes. And we're going to see how he works us all out according to his will. And we get that in our life that happens. In fact, I want to share with you guys a story real quick of one of our students here at Grace. Actually, uh, Cole reached out to this friend named Teddy. And uh, he was going through a difficult time. And, and he doesn't really get into all the details of everything he went through. I know his story. I'm just telling you guys that he's he, he's been through a lot in a very difficult time the past really year and a half or two years. But in that difficult time, I'm sure he felt like God was invisible. But we're going to see how God worked that out all according to his will and to his plan. Check this out.
1: So yeah, I, I, got, I got pretty lucky. My parents went to church ever since I was young. And I just was always exposed to that, that life around the church. And I've always had these people telling me, um, Jesus will change your life. But I guess I never really felt that until I was in middle school. It wasn't until I I really started going regularly to Fuse in Fremont that I, I started to understand what the people were like there and how they were different from anyone I've ever met in my entire life. The people there were showing me love regardless of where I was at, how I was acting that day how much I wasn't showing love back to them. And I started to realize what it truly meant to believe in Jesus and to see the love of Jesus that they had in their hearts for me. And that was when I realized I wanted to have that joy, that love for other people that I saw in the people at church. So yeah, in junior high, after I'd been going for a while, it really started to click for me what it meant to be a, A follower of Christ and what it meant to to believe in Jesus and it was at that point I believed and I started to see my life change I, I stopped worrying all the time I stopped being sad all the time I stopped beating myself down for the little things that I was getting wrong and I started to find it easier to forgive people and to 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 want the best for them so my church started a new campus in Tippin, which is where I go to school. And I started to, I started to see, oh, maybe I need to, to reach other people like they reached for me originally. And since I'm on the cross country team, I figured mm, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll try to invite some of the guys. So we were on a run one day and I just said, hey, anybody um, wanna come to church for a free pizza next week? And some of the guys were like, sure. So six or seven of them ended up coming that week. And one of them happened to be my friend, Teddy, who I'd really gotten to know well the past two years on the cross country team. So I knew Teddy was going through a hard time and it just wasn't the Teddy I knew. And I really wanted him to experience Jesus like I had experienced Jesus. And I wanted him to feel that love from the people here at church. And I wanted him to know that he was loved and people cared for him. And when he came to church, I think he really started to grasp how the people here were different.
2: Well, I didn't originally like, like I never had idea, like plans to ever go to like Grace or any type of church. But uh, as I had bad times in my life, with my parents, my parents, you know, going through separation. My mom and dad just never liked had the desire to go to church. And Cole here convinced me to just to go. He goes, like, it's going to be fun. You know, do you want to get free pizza? I came back home for the first day like, smiling and happy for the first time in months. like I, Like, the first few months I went there, you know, I was just kind of, like, listening and, like, you know, hearing. And I remember Cole for Mumps was always asking me, like, hey, are you do are you are ready to make that decision? Do you want to make that decision? And I was always just kind of like, mm, I'm not there yet. It, we were done with the message. Yeah. And he just turned to me. He said, Cole, I think it's time. I remember the exact words. He said, oh, I'm ready. Then on November 7th, I was like, I'm ready. I am ready. So we both went back to my pastor. You know, I admitted I am a sinner. I, and I do know that Jesus did die on the cross for my sins. After I said that and everything, I just remember big cloud, like dark cloud, just Like, lifted off my shoulder. Everything negative in my life was gone. I was just, I've been happy ever since. Like, yeah, my life's not perfect, but ever since giving my wife to Christ, my life's been a lot happier. And I've actually now been trying to convince my mom, because, you know, she's gone through, she's went through the same thing I did. So I'm trying to, like, not forcibly, but I'm just trying to, like, bring it out there, like, hey, maybe you should go to church. Like, I, like, because it's a great change in my life.
1: So after seeing the way Teddy's life has changed, I started to really see. The capability there was where when people come to church they can see they can see jesus in places they don't see anywhere else in their life and jesus will work on them at church and he he'll change their life and after that i was really encouraged and i thought wow i need to be inviting more people their life can be changed like teddy's life has been changed man that's all i need to do
0: That's just another example uh, of how God uses a, a difficult thing and uh, reaches, reaches out to us. Um, Teddy, man, he's been coming to Fuse. I'll just share you guys share this with you guys for a little while. He's been coming to Fuse for over a year. And going through difficult time, obviously he hit on that a little bit. Um, he probably never thought that in, in the moment of going through difficult time, he he probably never thought that God was was trying to work through him, even through that difficulty. Uh, He probably never thought that, man, this is like, God's trying to reach me through this. Um, He talked a little bit about the pizza thing. Just take a second here. We do this thing called Bath Gap every year in September. Bring a friend, get a pizza. That's what he was talking about, okay? Um, So he probably never thought that when Cole invited him to come to Fuse for a free pizza, he probably never thought, this is God through this pizza, right? No, like... But that's how God works. And there's times in our life where he seems invisible. But now, looking back in the last year in Teddy's life, I think for all of us, and even in Teddy, right, we can see that Jesus was working to accomplish his will in and through him. And so if you're a Christian here, we should be encouraged that we have this, this book, the book of Esther, that relates to us better than a lot of books of the Old Testament. I mean, for us, we get it. There are times that we wonder, if if God is present during things that we face, challenge, ask God God, are, are you really there? Can you hear me, God? Do you, do you know what I'm going through? Like I'm I'm asking you for help here. What what's going on? Are you not sending an angel? Yeah, like what do I do? Simple faith, and we can choose to trust that our future is in God's hands, and He's working it out, regardless, according to His will. I know in my life there's been decisions, there's been difficulties, hard times, whatever. I've went through in the past, you know, year, five, ten years. I can now, I can look back. In the moment, God seemed invisible. But I can look back now and see, man, that was, that was God working his will out. And I'm sure if you're a Christian that you can look back in your life and you can see, man, yeah, God seemed invisible. in that decision and that difficulty. But now looking back, I can see God was at work even when he seemed like he wasn't there. If you're not a Christian, you've never made the decision to give your life to Christ. And God is at work. It's his will that you're here today. Regardless of, it was a friend that invited you or someone that drug you to church. It doesn't matter. It's not an accident that you're here today and that you heard this message from Esther chapter one. The Bible says that God wants you to have a relationship with him. And in fact, he showed us that by sending his son Jesus who died on the cross for us. So man, if you want to make that decision today to give your life to him, the Bible says you need to admit that you're a sinner. Believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It was for your sin. Ask him to come into your heart and to save you. If you make that decision, I just ask you if you can, fill out one of those communication cards, drop that in the offering basket. And we want to we celebrate that with you. During this next song, closing song, Uh you want to pray and do that, you can do it right there in your seat, right there where you're standing. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, that God wants that relationship with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that we have examples in the Bible. Got stories like the book of Esther. Um, God, looking at it on the surface level, it seems like The stories turned out to be pretty bad, pretty ugly, just based off of chapter one. But God, what we're gonna find out is this is that you are working all things according to your plan, according to your will. God, there's times in life where we question you, where we God, things get a little messy in life. God, it seems like you're not there, not listening. God, the book of Esther teaches us that, God, you are always at work, accomplishing your will. God, I pray. There's anyone here that doesn't know you. I pray this next song that as they're in their seat, God, they would, they would understand and they would give their life to you, God. They'd see their sin, but trust in what you did on the cross for them. God, we pray this all in your son's name.